invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jude, the letter of Jude. I'll be reading the entire chapter here. Some time ago, I was at a meeting, and uh, after the speaker finished and later, I heard the comment that he didn't say anything that I didn't know. And I was reminded of verse 5, and this is the phrase that stood out to me as I read this. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. And I have a feeling this morning, as our brother preaches to us, he may not tell us something we've never heard before. But we need to be reminded time and again. Let's read Jude, beginning in verse 1. Jude is servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered, that was once for all, delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand. They are destroyed by all the that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. It is a privilege to stand again behind this desk and share with you after I think several years have passed, at least as far as a Sunday morning is concerned. And that has, I want to say, uh, for the sake of the local brethren, that's been my choice, not necessarily theirs. They've given me opportunities that I have not taken. I would like to uh, thank the discipleship group led by Stanley Good for helping us actually doing the work. I watched mostly uh, move the sword and trumpet office this past Thursday evening. A massive task for us old people, but uh, young people did it admirably and accomplished the move in that evening. So thank you very much, those of you who are here and who participated in that. Brother James asked if I would share this Sunday upon learning that we would be in town. He said it shouldn't be too much of a chore uh, since uh, I could use something that I had used before, but not here. And I took him up on that. We... Uh, I just finished uh, preaching through Second Peter in our little church in southern Indiana. We have a five-man rotation, so it takes a while. Uh, we're well over a year working our way through Second Peter. And it has been refreshing for me to study it with those messages in mind. And I trust it will be refreshing for you as we dip into a part of a study that was previously presented. I'd like us to look at Second Peter chapter 2 and getting some context. I would like to begin reading at verse 16 of chapter 1. So 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their 
sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in, in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, uh, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs, mist-driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to teach us. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to read and study your word publicly in this way. We ask that for each person in this room, you will use your word in the power of your Holy Spirit to challenge, convict, and change us. We are needy people. We pray that the human messenger speaking will not be noticed as the Spirit moves among your people just now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago now, 
I had my first conversation with a fellow by the name of George Brunk II. And it was a conversation met to examine me in the area of what I believed about apostasy. It became a doorway to our friendship, but he was very clear. If you weren't against apostasy, George was against you. And so it was a portal through which we walked because I was against apostasy, as the scripture describes it. The false teachers of Second Peter 2 are parallel, uh, the teaching is parallel to the book of Jude, which Brother Andy read previously. An apostate is one who turns away from the truth who does it with a level of willingness, just as an apostle is one who follows the Lord in the truth. And so as we examine a portion of this passage, let us think for these minutes about apostasy. The scripture promises that it will come. It is not a might or a maybe. It is an absolute. False teachers, it says in verse 1, were among the Old Testament people, speaking of the prophets of old, as Peter writes, and he says, there will be false teachers among you. No church is accepted. All will face apostasy, including your beloved Calvary. Because it is always true. False prophets will come. As the Apostle Paul wrote or spoke to the Ephesian elders, he said, from among your own selves, men will arise teaching twisted or perverse things. In Acts 20, verse 30. So, apostasy happens. And we need to understand that it not only could happen here, that's how we typically look at it, it could happen here, but we secretly say to ourselves, no, it really won't, but it could happen. No, the scripture says it will. And even now, is present in the hearts of some people. I have no idea who those people are. Only the Spirit of God knows for sure. But it will be an invasion of every church that seeks to follow the Lord. So that much is clear. It is also true that in the broader church, as we think of the churches across the world, Apostasy is not spoken of very much. It is unpopular because it has a negative ring to it. And we would not want to go on witch hunts trying to figure out who the apostates are. And, and that's admirable. But we do need to be on our guard. And that is very clear. The context of this passage of chapter 2, and we're really going to only look at a section of it uh, in a few moments, but the context is it's bathed in the Scripture. 
the doctrine of the scripture, and that's one reason we began reading at verse 16 of chapter 1. The doctrine of the scripture is the doctrine that we must follow. Peter said there that he was present on what we commonly call the Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw the curtain lifted just a little bit to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Of course, if you remember the account, uh, Peter being quick of wit and not always thoughtful, uh, put his royal foot in his mouth, and that is why he heard that voice. But nevertheless, he said, I heard the voice of God the Father in reference to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could have said here, and none of you heard it, which would also be true, but he did. And, now, and then he says, we have something more sure. Verse 19 of chapter 1, we have something more sure than that. More sure than uh, Peter's sensibilities and hearing the voice of God the Father, which was a, somewhat of a rebuke to him, but also revelation. He said, we have something more sure. And then he talks about the word of God, the scriptures. and by application, including the very scripture that we are reading. And so as you think of that part of the context, we have the word of God dominant. When we come to the issue of apostasy, we must come to the word of God first as that filter that filters out apostasy. Our own personal human thoughts are inadequate. Our own abilities at detection are also inadequate. It is the Word of God that we must always look through to see what is true and what is not true. So it is in that aspect of the context that we find our text. Peter goes on to talk about uh, the false teaching in chapter 3, uh, wherein uh, if you'll notice chapter 3, just to give us a little further context, verse 4, the apostates will say, where is the promise of Christ's coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. If you have your scientific glasses on, uh, there is somewhat the basis for the false evolutionary theory. Things are just progressing as they always have been at a given rate of time and so forth. That's apostasy. That's falsehood. So identified here. Uh, they deliberately overlooked this fact, verse 5 of chapter 3, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water. How? By the word of God. They did not just happen, in other words. And we could go on with that description. Time prohibits that. But again, that's the context on the far side of our text. So within that, those two covers, we find our text, and I would like us to be particularly looking 
at three aspects of apostasy that we find beginning at verse 10 of chapter 2 and continuing uh, on through verse 14. Notice verse 10. He is describing the apostates as he has been giving illustrations from the past in terms of God's attitude toward apostasy in bringing the flood, in destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. Verse 10. They despise authority. That is apostasy. And it should come very near home for everyone in this room. The modern lingo is nobody is going to tell me what to do. Despising authority, denying lordship to anyone other than me, myself, and I. It is a lordship issue. And the apostate will deny lordship. It is apostasy to say, that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and continue to live as you have always lived. Because we as human beings in our fallen state, in our lost state, are rebellious. And there is one Lord, and that is us. But when we come to the scripture and see the identification here of apostates, the first thing that is particularly mentioned in this immediate text is that they despise authority. They are the Lord's. But there is one Lord in truth and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are truly a child of God, you will have bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if you have not yet bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will, either in the immediate future or in the ultimate future when every knee will bow. And there is no other way of salvation but to surrender to Jesus Christ and take him at his word and acknowledge that we, you and I, are rebels against him and we surrender all to him. So to identify apostasy, if you hear that phrase, nobody is going to tell me what to do, you are hearing apostasy. You are hearing about, you're hearing from those who are turning away from the truth or who have turned away from the truth and who are not on their way to heaven, most certainly not on their way to heaven. So as you think of, a mar of, the, of, of the mark of an apostate, I believe that's primary. And as the Greek scholars have examined this text, it has become increasingly clear uh, that that is the pinnacle of the identification of an apostate. This idea of despising the lordship of Jesus Christ, of being insubordinate. And so many Bible teachers will say, this is the main point here. And it's the first one we are considering as we think of this study this morning. They are arrogant, 
prideful and will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. The second thing that I would like us to notice in this text is in verse 12. And then, and, and here it says, but these, these apostates, like irrational animals. So first of all, they're insubordinate. Secondly, they are irrational. They profess themselves to be wise, but they become fools, as Romans 1 says. Their thought process makes sense to them, but not to God. They are like animals. They're selfish. They're self-serving. They want what they want. And they're not mindful of what God wants. Thus, they are animal-like in that they do what they feel like. And haven't you heard, we think particularly of children, but I think adults do the same thing in a little more sophisticated way. Haven't you heard somebody say, I don't feel like it? And if you are a good parent or a good teacher, you say, that doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, when you hear this, I don't feel like it, you are hearing one of the identifiers of apostasy. And the other, another thing that I would notice somewhat as a side thought here, and this is not original with me, but it, it, it seems that they confuse their animal instincts as in selfish instincts with some kind of message from the Holy Spirit. So can I extend this to say, God told me? Brothers and sisters, if God didn't say it from the scriptures, he didn't tell you. It's an apostate way of thinking. So they are irrational, as we would say a Christian should be thinking God's thoughts after him. They're not thinking God's thoughts after him. They're thinking selfish thoughts after themselves. And thus it is not rational. The third aspect of apostasy we will note in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. And this is that there are immoral thoughts. There's immorality. As you read through the passage, you find that they revel in the daytime, verse 13, and so on. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable or not able to be satisfied for sin. Hearts trained in greed and so on. They are immoral people. May not always be sexual immorality but it certainly is sexual longing. They are trained in greed. So, these are three aspects of apostasy. We're moving along, need to move along. That's what the clock is telling me at least. 
Insubordination. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Irrational. Professing themselves to be wise. I don't feel like it. And immoral in their thinking and desires. Now, if you've been following along as we've looked through this passage rather quickly, and I enjoy the snail's pace through the scriptures, and so this is not really me this morning, just lifting up some things from other studies. But if you've been following along, it may have started to seem hopeless because you may find yourself at times insubordinate, irrational, and immoral. So what is the hope that we can have as we look to the Scripture? And this context also gives us hope How do we handle apostasy, even when we have some apostate thoughts as believers? Particularly, however, how do we handle apostasy that creeps into the church in the form of apostates, false teachers, in other words? And I would suggest that there are three aspects of hope here. In the context, the first of all, the first one is the Word of God. The more sure word of 119, we need to be people of the Word of God, not depending on our own wisdom, but upon the Word of God. Are you reading the Word of God? Every day. Are you listening to the Word of God? For some, you can listen to the Word of God by way of recording while you do your work. Are you memorizing the Word of God? If the Word of God is not in your life, you are doomed to go down the slippery slope of apostasy. There is no doubt about it. It is the way it is. Now, it's easy to say, oh, read the Word of God. But are we doing it? And then how are we doing it? Are we, you know, opening the Bible wherever it happens? We find in the counseling ministry that I'm involved with in Indiana, often that is what a counselee will say. Say, do you read the Word of God every day? Oh, yeah, I do. So what are you reading? Well, whatever I open to, I read. That is not the way to read the Word of God. We need to be reading it systematically as it was given. If you're just dropping the Bible open, you can make it say about whatever you want. And thus you are an apostate, having turned away from the truth. So the Word of God is extremely important. And then confidence in the, of the God of the Scripture. As you look at this text, notice chapter 2 and verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. So we can have confidence in the Lord himself, just as he preserved in this, in this context Noah and his family, from destruction, just as he preserved Lot, which most of us have difficulty understanding how Lot did all that he did, but just as he preserved Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, 
difficult and maybe almost impossible circumstances, and yet God preserved. So if we are truly Christians, have surrendered to Jesus Christ, if we are, in fact, reading the Word of God systematically as we know we should, allowing God to speak to us through his word, we can trust the God of the scriptures to preserve us from apostasy. And then looking at chapter 3, there's the third one, in terms of the hope that we have in the war against apostasy, chapter 3 and verse 14 Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, that is, the new heavens and the new earth, eternity, future, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So we have hope in the scriptures, we have hope in the Lord of the scriptures, and we have a command to be diligent in pursuing holiness. To be found when he comes, without spot or blemish, and at peace with him and with one another. Be diligent to be holy. How diligent are you with regard to holiness? Is that just for a special spiritual kind of people? No, it is for everyone who names the name of Christ. If you're not minded to be diligent in pursuing holiness, then I would have to say there is a question, a big question, whether you are a child of God at all. Because coming back to what the gospel is, it is surrender, unconditional surrender to Jesus. That's a kind of a definition of faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. So if we have forsaken all and trusted him, then... We're going to pursue Christ-likeness, which is, in fact, holiness, or in this text, being without spot or blemish. So how is that? How does that apply to our lives? It applies in this way. We cannot, be, we, we cannot wait to be more obedient. We're not trying to get away with as little as possible. We're pushing to do as much as possible in obeying the Lord of the Scriptures. We say, well, that's for the revival meetings. That's for those things. But we live a normal life the rest of the time. Well, if you, live a, if you define normality that way, you're on your way to hell, just as clear as it is. You see, Jesus, in giving the Great Commission, as recorded in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, said we are to disciple all nations, all people groups. And then he said the way you disciple is to teach them all the things I have taught you. He said that to the disciples, but I left something out. He said you are to teach them to obey everything I've given you. And so without that command to obey the scriptures, there is no gospel. Are we saved by obedience? Absolutely not. But the saved will obey. The disciple will obey. And if he doesn't, he is not a disciple. So if there is no application of Scripture in the life 
of the Christ follower. He is not a Christ follower. Now, we may not all apply the scripture in the same way. And there are some delicacies there from church to church and from group to group and perhaps even from family to family. But the issue is your statement of belief is your life. As someone has said, your life speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. Does that mean our life is enough and we don't have to say anything? No, not at all. But it is comparatively easy to say and comparatively more difficult to do. And the apostate says a lot and does nothing except destroy. The believer needs to say, but mostly he needs to concentrate on obedience to the Lord. So how does this work? Just prior to coming uh, east, one of my fellow ministers uh, wanted to talk to me, and he stopped by the house, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about media and the things that we sometimes watch on the media. And he said, you know, we have our war with pornography and those sorts of things. But he said, <clears throat> I'm coming to the conclusion that if you willfully watch a video, movie, whatever, if you willfully watch what we say we don't believe, then you are violating the scripture. And he went on to say, you know, if you watch violence, for example, or if you watch uh, a case where the, where the truth is not lived. Uh, he gave a number of illustrations like that. He says that's inconsistent, it's sin. Because you are allowing that material, which you say you don't believe, to invade your mind and eventually your heart. He's a young brother, from my viewpoint. And <clears throat> I think he has something. I think we've typically kind of said, well, that's just pictures that I watch, a movie or whatever. Really not. Now, that's one illustration of an application. There are all kinds of such illustrations that we could take time to make, but we don't have time to make them. But let it be understood that if you say you believe the Scripture, that is meaningless until you live what the Scripture says. There's a great deal of talk today about, well, we look at the heart. And it doesn't matter how you live. May I be bold enough to say that's the devil's lie? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. May I add an application? The mouth speaketh, the body dresses, the feet go, and everything else about life. So how do we know what the heart is? We know what the heart is by the conduct of the person. It is impossible to live contrary 
to what your heart is. And so we look at the fruit. It's appropriate to do so. So we have apostasy. We have the attitudes of apostasy, insubordination, irrationality, and immorality. And they are, not, they are selected from the center of our text. There are more that could be said. If you read it with me, you know that. Apostasy is here because the Scripture says it is. We hate to think about it, but it is. And we could say that in any church in the world. It is important that we recognize it for what it is, that we stand ready to deal with it as it affects our own lives. If you are an apostate, that you need to repent. If you have been influenced by apostasy, you need to repent. And bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So, beloved, how is it with you? And the preacher is not accepted. How is it with me? We think of the importance of this text. And as Brother Andy said at the beginning of his reading, we've heard these things before. And Peter says, You've heard them before. I'm going to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. We don't like to hear them, but they are truth. And we need to surrender to God's truth. Apostasy, it is a big deal. Just as Brother George many years ago said. It is ripping apart and tearing down the church. It has done so for centuries, but it doesn't have to be. Independence upon the word of God, in confidence in the God of the scriptures who rescues, and in the call to diligently following the way of holiness. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word for the privilege of reading through this portion of your word and selecting some parts of it to comment on. We ask that you will straighten out any bad doctrine that's been said in the hearts of these people and direct us all in the life of obedience which follows true faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.